Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. We got so much to talk about today. We've got uh, Politico's Ben Schreckinger uh, essentially confirming the... New York Post's reporting last October about the uh, communications between Hunter Biden and the Ukrainians that, uh, as Jay Caruso of the Washington Examiner reminded us, 50 former intelligence officials summoned together by the Biden campaign announced that it was likely that this information was the result of a Russian disinformation campaign. Uh, uh, any rational person knew that it was true that Hunter Biden had, that these communications were what they were, um, but the decision had been made to do whatever was possible to get Joe Biden elected. And so, of course, Twitter uh, and Facebook, I think Facebook, but certainly Twitter basically banned... Facebook limited its its, uh, distribution. Yeah. Right, and and Twitter basically banned any mention of the New York Post's uh, story, which was weird. Let's face it; there's weird detail about how he dropped off his laptop at a at a weird computer store in Wilmington, and then left it there for a year, like a like like you know like dry cleaning uh, that you leave behind and uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But uh, the, the decision was made that uh, the promulgation of this uh, story was an act. It's, you know, would it was a, it would be allowing disinformation to be promulgated. I don't think it would have had an effect on the election. Nonetheless, that's thing one. Uh, I don't even know if we haven't much to talk about there. Uh, oh, I two, I, Okay. I have something to mention there. Go ahead. Yeah. What bothers me about it most is this this baked in idea that somehow one media outlet, say Politico, <clears throat> is the watchdog group on other on another media outlet? Um, the Post backed up its story. The Post said this is real. There's it's it's not it's not for uh, it's it, it was it was for those asserting that it wasn't to to, to prove that it wasn't real. Um, the idea that that's not true until the media outlets you like confirm it a year later is is what really bothers me about this and not just the post by the way there were there were other there were other outlets who also who also had known it's real and said as much and 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 talked about corroborating evidence a long time ago look fair enough i'm not i'm not uh, i'm defending no one uh, here uh, i mean the issue of course it was the was the was the social media conspiracy to quash the story um, uh, as the sort of anti-Biden late hit, uh, all campaigns develop late hits. It's a the nature of how we do presidential campaigns and often uh, local and state and, uh, campaigns. Uh, that's uh, people save a story uh, for the last couple of weeks to throw the other campaign on its heels, create a feedback loop in which they don't know how to respond. They respond pair. Uh, uh, difficult in in difficult fashion, um, the the general uh, consensus among liberals uh, in the United States is that uh, social media has become a means by which 
uh, fascists are promulgating misinformation. And uh, the social media companies, desperate to do something about their uh, collapsing reputations, which uh, go where, for reasons that go far beyond the simple ideological questions of Russia and Trump and all of that, are very eager to play along with the idea that they have a positive role to play in adjudicating uh, the truth and falsity of stories about which they have absolutely no power authority or or means to adjudicate. But where did uh, they get it, that idea? They didn't have that idea ex nihilo. They were induced, cajoled, asked, begged, forced to police content on their sites after, particularly after the 2016 election by Democrats who assumed that Donald Trump owed his entire political career to Facebook. Right, no, which, exactly, which, which, no, itself exactly. was a mis, which itself was a misguided assumption because Obama is the one who actually pioneered data, use of data and use of social media for advertising and political mobilization. I, I do want to bring up, yeah, exactly. I mean, it worked, it worked great then because then it was all yeah. safe and it was all the correct information. But I want to bring up a point, actually, I think Abe brought it up on our text chain last night. The other problem with this issue, besides the, the, the very broad and serious uh, you know, role of social media is that by by suppressing a story without any actual factual response to it and not allowing it to spread, it plays into the very thing that all the people who are who claim to be concerned about misinformation on social media are worried about, which is it does uh, encourage conspiracy theories because now you have people saying, "See, we told you they're doing this. We told you they're suppressing this because they actually were." So, we, in a, in an odd way, it, it, there's a kind of weird feedback loop into conspiracy theorizing that they're doing in the name of stopping misinformation, they're encouraging more conspiracy theories. Because their interest is in getting, is in quieting the left's attacks on them. That is, this is a desperate pursuit of a lowering of the temperature. The left grabbed onto this idea. These two companies, particularly Twitter and Facebook, got Trump elected. Therefore, the solution to the evil of Trump was very simple. Force them to change their behavior and Trump cannot get a, cannot get reelected or, you know, use his magical power over the American mind through social media. And um this is all part of the social the of the dominating force of the, of of America's liberal elite culture which is that they are incredibly expert at getting large-scale institutions to kowtow to whatever it is they get obsessed with because all these companies want is peace they just want to be left alone to do what they're doing abe the greatest irony about that is that if Donald Trump is reelected in 2024, the largest piece of that puzzle will be because he was off of Twitter and the ban allowed uh, regular Americans to forget the actual feeling of how bad it was to have those crazy tweets every day. They did I mean, him that, a huge favor. I mean, so so we're just we're just the layers of irony upon irony upon irony here. But I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Facebook and Twitter don't have the power. We're in a world, let's say, in which Facebook and Twitter don't have the power to ban. In fact, they should not have had the power to ban. 
the whole point about them is that they're platforms that aren't supposed to be making editorial decisions. That is what saves them from being liable for the transmission, legally liable for the transmission of false information, of pedophilic information, whatever it is that goes on. The 1996 Communications Decency Act and various uh, pieces of litigation say they are a pass-through. They're like the post office. You can't blame them for the contents of a sealed letter. That's not their place. Now we're in this nether region in which every now and then they decide this can't be allowed to be read or seen. That dovetails well, that, with... That, yeah. that is what con- congressional Democrats can thank themselves for, that, that regime that you just described. I don't think, however, that it's fair to say that these companies just want to be left alone to make widgets. Um, they don't need any congressional push or media push or a whisper campaign to get them engaged in climate change activism or voting rights activism or half a dozen other progressive causes. Because not only do they share those ideological fin- affinities, they seek the power and influence in Washington that those, that those activities grant them. They're actively pursuing that. Those rewards are out there for them and they don't need to be forced into their pursuit. Well, in Facebook, and it's the same it's, for media, you know, media, major media players and television and in half a dozen other industries. Those those incentives, those rewards exist and they will be pursued independent of whether congressional Democrats forced, you know, an intern to fact check social media posts. Well, in Facebook itself, understanding that, as, as you said, John, its reputation is not exactly what it wants it to be, has, has now launched this thing called Project Amplify, where it is kind of advertising itself on its own platform. It's very powerful. Obviously, Facebook is, is a major place to put your advertisements. So they said, well, let's, let's write, let's direct people to puffery about ourselves. So they'll start to like us again. So they're, they're aware of it. The amount of money that they have to lobby, uh, Washington is immense. They're, they're, they should be included with big pharma, big tech. I mean, big tech has a lot of money to spend and is spending it. And this debate it has a lot of interesting sort of sub arguments that conservatives are making about, you know, how do you define a platform in a community that there's a lot, it's a time of interesting ferment for this. But the suppression of a news story by a platform of that size and power remains a, a very big uh, bungle um, by both Twitter and by Facebook. And I agree with Abe. I think it's going to come back and get them. And for the Democrats who were happy about it, they're not going to be happy about it when those same platforms start suppressing things that they want to promote. I mean, more important, I think, in a larger sense is this goes to this question of whether or not the American people and the American elites have ha, are now um, actively opposed to the idea that the First Amendment is there to permit the disseminate to 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 allow or whatever you want to call it the dissemination of speech that you don't like. That is precisely why it exists. It's not there in order to codify the rules that what we hear and what we see and all of that please us, it is to create a condition under which the right of free speech will not be abridged. You can say what you want to say, particularly if it's unpopular or goes against the corporate interests of Facebook or something like that. This is a very complicated uh, issue and fa- and the social media companies sidestepped it 
because of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, or whatever it was called. I'm using the wrong term because I think. But the idea was they were to be treated as a transmission vector, and therefore they were not legally liable for the information that was transmitted through them. You You can't hold you know, your email service provider responsible for the envelope that the email comes in and you don't hold them responsible because they are not publishers, except they are, but they're not, but they are sort of, but they're not. Well, that's the point, right? Editorial judgments, they are publishers. It is beyond belief that we at commentary must be held to a higher legal standard for the things that we publish than face than the standard that Facebook is held to uh, by the law, which is in fact the case. Well, and the contradictory balance that it, that used to hold and it has held up until recently was that they could fall back on this argument that they are private companies, which they are, and they're allowed to make decisions about who they about rules to govern their own platform. So they would, and the public sort of accepted that until. It, it ramped up at post-Trump. I would say post-2016, that weird contradictory balance of we're a platform and pass-through, but we're also sometimes a private company that wants to boot off crazy right-wingers and pedophiles. People were like, okay, this isn't perfect. It doesn't always make sense, but it works. That's not working anymore. And I think that's really the question is whether if they want to still be considered private companies or are we going to treat them more like utilities and who regulates them and whatnot? I mean, that's the ongoing debate, but well, their the central- power okay. is- you know, right. But here's the central thing. Like, let's take the money out of it, right? Lobbying money or whatever it is. The only people in this country who have an ideological interest in defending the the idea that Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram and whatever uh, are not utilities uh, are intellectuals on the right. Left has no problem with the notion that large-scale institutions in which everybody, you know, ends up participating are to be deemed as utilities and should be nationalized in some fashion or other. That is socialism, right? I mean, that is sort of increasingly Democrats are socialist. Uh, We are the people. People on the right are the people who say government has no business interceding in the market in this way. Well, then 2016 happens, their own staffs and their own fears, and their own worries say, oh my God, people misused our system to, you know, allow the Russians to buy Donald Trump the presidency, which is a preposterous idea and always was, right? But uh, here they are now and they are then saying, okay, you know what, you're right, or we kind of buy that, or, you know, we're worried about this, so... We're going to help serve your interests as we go into an election. The left doesn't have a problem with them being utilities. Right now, Josh Hawley and people like that have no problem with them being treated as though as though they are companies requiring government control. They have decided to line up culturally with the very forces that will ensure their destruction in some fashion or their takeover or something like that. For a time, that is always fine with these companies because of the whole notion of regulatory capture, that if they 
if they do the things to comply with government regulations that add hundreds of millions of dollars to their spending in order to do that. Government piles on regulations. They do it. They can afford it. No one then can enter the space to compete with them because no one will have enough resources at the outset to comply with government regulations. So often these companies love regulatory capture, love the idea that they can be, you know, they can, they, that this uh, government insists on this stuff because it raises the bar to entry and therefore, you know, they won't be Atari'd out of business or Commodore 64'd out of business or something like that. But that is not the case with these companies. There are only two of them, really, maybe three. And uh, we started talking about this. Uh, Christine, you wrote a piece about this two or three years ago. I mean, we started talking about this. They are not going to survive this decade. And there is absolutely no reason for the people who philosophically defend their independence uh to 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 give them a, a the slightest finger up you know the slightest help uh because they are putting their finger on the scale and doing what they can to ensure the uh election of the other party um i don't know how this happens but you could see an entire 2024 campaign being waged on the idea of a Republican, non-unconventional Republican like Donald Trump saying Facebook and Twitter need to be nationalized. I mean, you know, he can say anything. Why couldn't he say that? Then what's Biden going to do? Say, no, no, no. I mean, I'm a great supporter of the free market. I don't know what, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's a, we're in an, it, uh, as this goes on, uh, and they are under their own internal pressure from their own mandarins and you know and cadres and cultural revolutionaries to suppress speech even more because that's what's going on internally is these you know 20 or 30 year olds who literally no longer believe in free speech because they believe that it's much more important not to hurt people with saying mean things or whatever it is that they believe. I don't, don't even know if they even believe that. It's just they, they no longer believe in free speech. And, Abe, you, know, you, have a review, you have a review of Ben Shapiro's book, The Authoritarian Moment, in the October issue of Commentary, now available at commentary.org, and you go into this in, in great detail in your review, as Ben does in his book. Yeah, in the book, he, he covers uh, social media. Uh, he also covers sports and science uh, entertainment, generally the academy, and he discusses the, this very thing: the, the 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 way in which the revolutionary left has managed to capture institution after institution, and which then, uh, in turn, shapes the world we we, we live in. Yeah, very very well. Uh, and talk, yeah, and and talks about um, as you say, like the the. Um... Uh, the fact that the key understanding here of the of, of of the movement of the left is that it is stands in opposition to the idea of fundamentally a free speech. They believe that, is, that uh, speech that they disagree with is illegitimate and dangerous and harmful and threatening, and it therefore its regulation, codification, or control is necessary to the preservation and sustenance of a, of a decent society. Right. Is that a fair summary? That's, that's the key distinction. That's the key distinction Shapiro draws. Uh, 
he says, if you're on the left, you are essentially against free speech and the idea that we can talk to, break bread with uh, people who disagree with us because uh, they're beyond the pale. He doesn't say that about liberals. He's he, in fact, he he distinguishes um, that that sort of liberals and conservatives are are essentially on the same side, on the other side of that question. Um, this is right. a this is a matter of leftism. I mean, so let, let's so actually using Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire is an interesting and instructive example because uh, so there's this idea that the promulgation of misinformation, uh, let's say now more about the 2020 election, the promulgation of these false claims, uh, and, and there's more and more evidence that uh, 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 the lawsuits that have been filed uh, for defamation against uh, Dominion and Vote Smart and a couple of these uh, individuals uh, uh, for defamation that um, th- they have them dead to rights and that uh, Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, and Rudy Giuliani and maybe the Trump campaign as an entity are going to get slaughtered in court. Uh, there was this revelation yesterday uh, in this guy Coomer's. Uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, finding, I guess, in discovery in this guy's defamation suit, that the Trump campaign itself had had done an investigation into the possibility that the election had been stolen. And the day before Sidney Powell and Rudy had this press conference saying the election had been stolen, they had determined that the election had not been stolen, the campaign. And yet under the aegis, of, semi-official aegis of the campaign, uh this uh, claim that the election had been stolen uh, and that in in particular that these companies had stolen it was being made. Ergo, they knew they had documentation of their own that they were making a knowingly false charge. That is open and shut slander and defamation. Uh, That is where it comes from. They are in, uh, you know, colossal trouble. Uh, That being said, I actually now have forgotten my initial point that I got. I got. I got. Oh, but Ben Shapiro. So <laughs> that the venue yeah, so, for so, litigating. Right. That okay. Sort of so thing very simply. In, so I got courts. it. So Facebook now puts things saying, you know, there's a lot of false information about the election on on the bottom of every post that anybody puts up about the election. Right. The Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's website, is one of the most successful sites on Facebook conservative site puts up a lot of stuff hundreds of millions of views you know it's an incredibly successful thing liberals and leftists on social media and in the world completely conflate these two things they're like facebook is bad because it allows the promulgation of this misinformation that's trying to block and one of the ways you know that is because the daily wire is more popular than the nation so that's part and parcel of the authoritarian moment is the idea that ideas that liberals and leftists don't like have purchase in the United States. Therefore, something is wrong and must be done about it. And they must be silenced. They must be silenced because it's all the same. Everything is the same. Ben Shapiro is somebody who came under attack, you know, uh, by right-wing trolls as, you know, uh, anti-Semitic right-wing trolls more than anybody else in America in 2015 and 2016, right, is now somehow a tool 
of the right wing trolls who are trying to destroy America. I mean, that is, there's no prescription there is no, against yeah. there's no prescription against anti-Semitism on social media. That's that's right. that's still allowed. Right. You're just not allowed exactly. to, you know, um, report about Hunter Biden's laptop. Right. Um, so, guys, uh, this is the sort of thing that makes you want to uh, go to bed and pull up the covers. And if you do, you might want to use. Uh, wait a minute. Let me just double check that I'm not making a huge mistake here. You might want to use Bolin Branch sheets. Bolin Branch, ultra soft organic sheets, transparently sourced, produced in safe, fair conditions. You'll feel a difference. You know you're making one. Look, the company started with a mission to produce the highest quality sheets on the market and make the world a better place in the process. Buttery, soft, lightweight, 100% organic cotton sateen weave. These sheets come in a variety of colors and in all sizes from Twin Up to California King. And they're made to a higher standard with toxin-free processes and fair trade certification to ensure workers are paid fair living wages. Founded in 2014 by husband and wife Scott and Missy Tannen, they wanted to do what's right. It was founded to give more sleepers more choices for high-quality sheets at a fair price and continuously building a fairer and better supply chain for the improvement of the of entire future textile industry. It partners with family-owned businesses that align with the same values and standards. They're pledging to double U.S. assembly jobs this year. This is Bolin Branch to experience the best sheets you've ever felt. Choose Bolin Branch. Try the Worry 3 for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. And our listeners get exclusive 15% off their first set of sheets with promo code commentary at bolandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com promo code commentary. Okay, so uh, also yesterday comes the story out of, um, uh, published by the Daily Telegraph, uh, that uh, grant proposals, trying to find it here, grant proposals produced in 2018 uh, and uh, uh, submitted by, among others, uh, Scott Dezak, uh, who's a figure we will talk about in a minute. Grant proposals were made uh, Peter, to... Peter Dezak. Peter Dezak, excuse me, were made to um, produce uh, coronavirus bats and release them I, I, I mean, no, the it, was details, aer- it was it was aer- aerosolized, to aerosolize, a, yes. a, a, a genetically modified version of a coronavirus and release it into these you know, caves where you had a high, you know, bat, bat population in order to pr- produce Im- immunities in this population against this particular strain and therefore protect the human population. Seemed like a good idea. Chimeric viruses. Yeah. Did, yes. did we say it was okay. Wuhan? So I didn't hear. So, Highly infectious. Yeah, in Wuhan. Less lethal the Wuhan ver- of yes. the coronavirus. Yes. By bat lady. By bat at lady. the Wuhan Institute of Virology Studies. In 2018. Uh, what we know is that these grant proposals were sent to the to DARPA, the uh, defense research agency, who said... What are you, crazy? Of course we're not giving money to this. What kind of lunatics are you? Um, 
what this indicates is that there was obviously uh, uh, this was uh, th- this information resulted uh, came out of a crowdsourced uh, citizen invest citizen investigation effort <laughs> that we have written about. James Meggs has written about in commentary to determine the sources and cases in relation to what was going on in China with the coronavirus. Um, and uh, where we are now is uh, one, uh, I think, sigh of relief, which is that one idea that has been floated is that the United States may have been financially involved in this research, and that appears not to have been the case. But um, uh, this is more evidence that uh, there was a, not only was there a an, an effort to engineer this virus, uh, and and that uh, we now have documentation that money was being sought in order to do this a year and a half before the breakout happened. But the very person who was seeking the money arranged in, was it February or March of 2020, to um, send a letter to The Lancet, the leading medical journal in Britain and in the world, uh, by uh, him, uh, this guy Peter Dzak, him and other uh, viral experts, condemning the idea that the virus might have leaked from a lab, and condemning China for the effort. Uh, so we have here uh, a new potential Andrew Wakefield scandal. We have a Brit. We have a we have a situation in which. A scientist materially involved in the possible creation of the virus using his position to di- to distract it's not Andrew Wakefield that's a bad analogy I'm sorry but you know to he is he he went looking for money for this and then two years later tried to cover his tracks uh this is a huge scandal like he's, the biggest also- scandal of the Go ahead. I was just going to say, he's also repeatedly refused to come before the House of Lords and others in the UK who've been trying to investigate his behavior. He's just not not cooperating. Um, okay, so that's my, I mean, I'm being very unclear. The story is in the Daily Telegraph. It's hard to, you have to subscribe to it to get it. Um, and it is, um, uh, it's a little sketch. The story itself is told in a sketchy fashion because, of course, it's really impossible to follow a lot of these details. And some of these details were, you know, were 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 known and reported by uh, a lot of this. It also uh, dovetails with Nicholas Wade's famous piece in Medium about what's you know what he discovered about the uh, coronavirus. But, but the, um, can I also add that yeah. the, the, the detail that was new to me that is chilling is that they were also applying for research to make a chimeric MERS virus, which is like the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus. And it and and one of the people they talked to said that the, the fatality rate of those viruses is much, much higher than for COVID. So there, it's not just the COVID. Something like 30 uh, percent, I think. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. horrifying. So it, it would literally be the Black Death if yes. if, if, if something like. Hap- that this escaped that for a MERS now, virus. Yeah. Yeah. That we now have so, reason to believe. Yes. I mean, so the question this raises ultimately is just because DARPA turned it down, we don't know that's, that someone else didn't, in fact, go ahead and fund this disastrous project. 
Uh, I guess so. Um, well, the Telegraph although... suggests in the story that this research and the execution of this project went ahead in the absence of uh, American capital. Yeah, but we don't need. Yeah, they I mean, don't we, know. We don't yeah. know. They, it's just highly implied. Yeah, or and we don't, and, and they may might not have needed American capital. They were uh, seeking it, and they then they might not have needed it. Um, but you know, once again, here we are. We're sitting here. You know, everybody in America is like at war over masks. Um, and uh, the second most powerful country in the world, the most populous country in the world, uh, is now clearly. You know, it, it is increasingly um, clear that it was that uh, its own uh, scientific establishment was responsible for the release of a uh, of a virus that has now, you know, killed millions of people and close to 700,000 Americans. Uh, and lot and, and in a, in a desperate effort to cover its own tracks, as Scott Gottlieb says in his new book, went dark with our authorities right at the moment at which we needed to know what was going on so that we could make provision and preparation for, uh, doing stuff at, at the end of 2019 to protect ourselves from this. And uh, nothing is happening to deal with this. Rea- the UN General Assembly is meeting this week. Where are the debates about China's uh, China and, and, and the virus? But Biden never mentioned China by name at all, uh, by the way. But but I just before we jump onto that, I just want to link it back to the first part of our discussion about the Hunter Biden uh, story. They're related in that any discussion of the of COVID-19 having come from a lab was laughed at, dismissed, cracked down on as conspiracy theorizing. And I got to ask why. I mean, I honestly have to ask why. In other words, if people believed that China was responsible for the release of the virus falsely what impact would that have had on our internal american response to coronavirus because it was perceived to have advanced the political objectives of donald trump the we're talking about again these 25 year olds who don't know anything who are tasked now with adjudicating issues of grand historic importance importance they don't have any academic background to navigate these issues. So they use a heuristic and the heuristic is Donald Trump is a conspiratorial lunatic. So when he says things that are conspiratorial in in essence, it must be lunacy. And they also believed it to be racist. Remember when he called it Wuhan flu, that was like, you know, the pearl clutching over calling it Wuhan flu. And the, the, this is going to cause, you know, anti-Asian violence. This is all, so there's the racial component to it was also there. And also, as, as you say, Noah, perfectly fit their anti-racism heuristic in that sense as well. And once again, the, the, the institutional dismissing of facts or uh, plausible ideas as conspiracy theory has had the unintended consequence of producing real conspiracy theories. Because now, when you have the breakthrough of all this evidence that, in fact, this thing kind of looks like it came from the Wuhan lab. The same people who are saying, I'm not trusting these people to get a shot are the ones saying, see, I told you, I told you. And they, they, they said we were crazy then. They say we're crazy now. They say they're the experts. They say we're the idiots. But that doesn't make any sense either. 
No, no, it does. It makes like, here's the proof of this virus is real, and also the vaccine is unnecessary. No, no, no. Those I, 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 no, but Abe, Abe, Abe has an important point here, which is um, this mindset. It is not a conspiracy theory to say that there's a there's a city called Wuhan. In the city, there are two virology institutions. And in Wuhan, in the fall or late late fall, early winter of 2019, millions of people were suddenly locked into their apartments. Uh, and uh, word spread of a terrible disease coming. And uh, we believed that this was the result of somebody eating a bat. But, you know, that kind of doesn't pass the smell test that some one person eats a bat and then the entire world... Uh, gets a virus um that's not a conspiracy theory that is a completely rational occam's razor there are labs they do research on bats they do research on coronaviruses and something happened china didn't want to own up to it fine treat the idea as though it is a conspiracy theory and talk about having no antibodies what antibodies do you have against subsequent conspiracy theories where you say no the vaccine is perfectly safe it's like oh yeah well you said that this came from eating a bat so who the hell are you to tell me that i should trust you when you tell me that this vaccine is 95 percent safe they're totally related and it's not just that it is why they find it necessary to speak in these tones of utter, you know, epistemic certainty about things, that's the scary part, is no, 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 you know, yes. I mean, this is what drove everybody crazy. You don't have to wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. It's worse to wear a mask. Flip. Everybody must wear a mask forever. Then, two months later, they tell you something else. It's like, who are you people? You're gaslighting. I don't understand. You're ga- I, I can't trust a word that comes out of your mouth. And by the way, the mouth here is, among others, Fauci's. Uh, Fauci right. was, was dismissing the lab leak hypothesis. And said you didn't have to wear a mask. Absolutely then right. said you had to wear a mask. Like, all right. of that. It, and I don't. And, and says not, trust, the, trust the vaccines. Right. And I think the central point here is not that it is, it's a tone issue. And it is exactly the same tone issue that says, you you can't read that article about Hunter Biden. You're going to misuse it. You're going to think that means that you shouldn't vote for Joe Biden. Maybe. Uh, We can't have that. We can't have that. You've got to vote for Joe Biden or you can't let the, you know, Look, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just too dangerous for you. And we are uh, reaping the world. We are living at a moment at which we are reaping the whirlwind from that. And it ain't over. I mean, it's kind of only just started. Um, in terms of reaping the whirlwind and China and all of that, we, of course, had this um, uh crisis in the markets over the last couple of days relating to this giant Chinese real estate company and its possible 
the fact that it possibly owes $300 billion it can't uh, repay uh, tanking the markets on Monday. There was some recovery yesterday. Um, you want to know how to understand this stuff in the larger context? You go with our friend David Bonson at the Bonson Group. Uh, read his newsletters, the dctoday.com and dividendcafe.com to follow along with the stories of how macroeconomics and larger scale political dynamics affect your own investing. Um, What we have here is a larger question about whether China is uh, creating what our friend Jonathan Last, I think very brilliantly yesterday in his newsletter in the Bulwark said, uh, China is trying to create a system not of rule of law, but of rule by law. You do what they say if you live in China, if you're a capitalist, if you have a business, or uh, and whatever we say goes, you're not. We're not creating independent standards by which you operate. We are the law, and uh, that is going to have gigantic effects on international investing and all of that. And David Bonson is the place to turn to read about that. Go to dividendcafe.com. Subscribe to the Bonson Group's newsletters. The antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the. Uh, financial services and management industry. Um, So uh, the Democrats are in disarray. (laughs) Uh, There are so many interesting stories, so many details, so much happened yesterday, so much is happening over the next two days relating to three different uh, interlocking things. The gigantic $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, the trillion-dollar hard infrastructure bill, and uh, the debt limit. And um, what, 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 what clearly has happened is that uh, the uh, internal dynamics in the Democratic Party are, are, are uh, spinning apart. I can't remember which, is it centripetal force that goes outward and centrifugal goes in? So it's centripetal force. They are spinning outward and starting really to break apart. And you have this very big war between the 94 members of the Progressive Caucus and the rather smaller number of moderates who say, give us the hard infrastructure bill. You promised us there's going to be a vote on it next Monday, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, get Let us vote that bill in and get it done. And then Biden can have a victory and we can all celebrate and Republicans are going to vote for that bill. And the progressives who are saying, we will not vote for that bill because we need that bill hostage so that we can get our larger bill. We are literally saying we're, that we would vote for this bill, but we're only going to vote for it later. Be, uh, we'll not vote for it now because we need it, you know, to be, it's, we're, we're in the bank, we're trying to rob the bank, and it's the teller that we're hold, putting the gun to the temple of that we don't, don't want to shoot. Well, I had we'll forgotten, shoot. actually, that that was Joe Biden's position, too. Joe Biden essentially adopted the squad's position before the squad had that position. He said he wouldn't sign a hard infrastructure bill in the absence of the $3.5 trillion bill. So this is all Joe Biden's making. Now, that happened in July. And then, of course, everything flipped, right? Because when he said, I want them both and I won't have one before the other, that was when Republicans said, well, screw you, buddy. We're not negotiating over the infrastructure bill then. You are not getting both. You want to negotiate with us over the infrastructure? You want to, you want you want us to talk to you about the infrastructure bill? It's got to be considered separately. 
you know, from your effort to Sovietize the American economy. We're not, we're not involved in that. Thank you. And it's, then the White House went, Ooh, I'm so sorry. We made a mistake. We made a terrible mistake. Uh, Joe Biden didn't mean it. Give him an ice cream cone. Shut him up. Put him in the basement. Make sure if, uh, if uh, Boris Johnson answers a question that we throw the press out before an American, uh, before an American reporter a- asks him a question, which is what happened yesterday, right? I mean, so then they got the infrastructure bill, and now we're back where we were when Joe Biden nearly tanked the infrastructure, the hard infrastructure bill. It's totally is doing because he nearly tanked it by doing that after it was already going to be a foregone conclusion that the that it was that it was a done deal. He he right. he, he introduced the problem out of nowhere. Um so What's interesting here uh, is uh, then there is this other thing, which is the Democrats can pass a debt, you know, can can fund the government uh, and pass the debt ceiling. Uh, there's also the government shutdown. I forgot that part. Uh, they they can do that without Republican votes. And and uh, Mitch McConnell has said no one no one in my caucus is voting for any of this. You do it. You can do it. It's fine. Fifty votes and come Kamala Harris. You can do it. We are not putting our fingerprints on any of this. Oh, the outrage, the rage, you know, because, oh, this is so irresponsible. Look, if you raise the debt ceiling, that's because what you're doing there is uh, paying for things that you yourself already approved during the Trump administration. So you're so cravenly irresponsible. It's so terrible. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm all for raising the debt limit. I'm just not putting my fingerprints on anything that you guys are going to use as a weapon to try to get this $3.5 trillion bill through. I voted, I, Mitch McConnell, for the soft, for the hard infrastructure bill. It passed the Senate by a veto-proof majority. Just waiting for final, to go through the process, and there will be this bill. So I don't know if any of this is making any sense, but here's what makes sense. The Democratic Party is on the verge of potentially exploding the Biden presidency. What the what the progressives and what the squad are saying is we get three and a half trillion dollars or there will be nothing. Government will shut down. There will be no increase in the debt, debt ceiling. There will be no hard infrastructure bill and there will be no soft infrastructure bill. And whatever Josh Marshall and every liberal pundit wants to say, Republicans will have absolutely no role in this. This is all them. And you can't look at this and think that today when Biden meets with Schumer and Pelosi and then has a meeting with the progressives and then has a meeting with the moderates and all of that, the essential subtext here is... We are about to walk off a cliff. What how, what do we do to not walk off the cliff? Well, the I think the progressive caucus, um, not just the squad, the handful of squad members, but Pramila Jayapal, a lot of the, a lot of the progressive caucus is is betting on the fact that Americans don't understand the intricacies of reconciliation and how to get this stuff passed. What they will understand, and I assume this is the message the progressives are going to take back. If they if if they blow everything up, as you say, John, to go back to their constituents and say, we were fighting for you. We stood on principle because we you need all this stuff, even if the country can't afford it, even if we have no way of, of 
paying for it. You need this because the rich are taking everything. You know, they can leave Biden actually out of that equation. They can just make it about how they are the principal people in the country right now trying to give Americans all this stuff that they need. And that message is that's a real test. It's not clear to me that Americans, particularly suburban types who are going to decide these elections, aren't going to find that appealing. I don't know. Um, It's pretty clear to me. The majority party has full uniform control of government. Yes. Americans can count to 217 beginning, middle and end of the story. But they don't follow the is the headline is. You got nothing. Biden fails. I <laughs> right. mean, the headline yeah. is... It's terrible for Biden, but I'm Biden just saying is, the progressives right. don't care. They don't and like Biden anyway. talking about the prospect of a shutdown, which everybody seems to think is unlikely. And it might be, but I think it's a lot more likely than anybody in the Beltway seems to believe it to be. Well, so there's a whole logistical thing here where they can get through and uh, raise the debt limit and avoid a shutdown through a series of procedures the problem with those procedures is that it means the Senate is going to have to sit there for two weeks doing these, doing two different what are called votoramas. Don't even ask me to explain what a votorama is. It's Meshuggah. But, um, you know, nobody wants that. And none of this implicates the Senate. I mean, that's the weird part about this is this is all internal to the House. And it's all because Democrats have a four seat majority in the House. They have a bill that they can pass right now that spends a trillion dollars and would be the largest domestic spending bill in American history that isn't related to an emergency. And they are refusing to do it because they think that it's too small. Um, so I, they're, okay, so here's, here's a larger thing. We have two parts of the United States, and as a result, in other countries, right, they're much smaller than ours. They have 10, 20, 30 parties. And when they have to create a government, they have to put assemble this coalition together of this and that and give the you know, all of that. We don't have that system, which means that each of our parties is a coalition in and of itself. It has regional aspects. It has ideological aspects. It has ethnic aspects. It has all kinds of different aspects. And they're coalitions, and they're, they're, they're coalitions in and of themselves. And one of the things that makes them cohere is the opposite coalition. Whoever they are, they're not them. They want something different. We can, you know, we can sort of say, largely speaking, that Republicans want less government and Democrats want more government. And that is kind of like the dividing line. Uh, other dividing lines that used to be much clearer, much less clear, like, you know, who is, you know, who believes in isolationism and stuff like that but nonetheless uh so they're coalitions within themselves and uh and they're and they're held together in part because they're a negative coalition against somebody else and they're held together in part because they kind of understand that in politics one of the things you need is to rack up points and go back to voters and say you know i I, i'm i'm effective i'm doing what you need me to do republicans introduced a different note in 2010, 2011. They got people elected who didn't want to do anything, who got elected because the idea was government's bad, Washington's bad, we shouldn't do anything. And that introduced a weird vector, like a new kind of vector, which is 
people who want to shut the government down, people who want who don't want legislation to pass, people who want to go back and say, you see, what I did was stop bad things, and I didn't touch anything like that. But that is not who the progressives are. All they want is to pass things. All they want is for government to do things. So while Ted Cruz cannot be punished for shutting the government down in 2013 in one of the dumbest political moves in American history, because it dovetails largely with the sentiments of his party, Democrats want government to be effective. So I don't understand. You're saying suburbanites, will we're fighting for you, and so we tanked everything to help. That is not a Democratic message. But that they're not, not Democrats. Okay. They're they're socialists. They're progressives. They don't even often they don't even talk about being part of a Democratic Party. They are trying to to become something new and make the drag the party along with them. At least if you look at the the way that they're talking in this recent round of negotiations. I mean, Jayapal was like, they think we don't mean it. You just try us. Just try us. I mean, it's very combative. It's it's interesting. I mean, I find it fascinating, of course, because I want to see right. it all go down in flames. But it's. It's a different tone. Well, okay. So, oh, go ahead. Well, Andrew, there's, there's one thing. I mean, it, the one thing that the Democrats may have to their advantage in failure, not to their advantage, but but might soften the the blow uh, should should all this go down in flames, is that because they're shooting for things to pass bills that institute things and bring about things that aren't really necessary. I mean, yes, we need infrastructure. We always need infrastructure, but few people in their actual lives will miss any of the things that won't happen. Um, I think that's something, you know, if they were, if they were addressing themselves to vital crises, which they, as they should be, um, then, and, and those, and those efforts didn't make it. I think that would be a different story. I mean, I suppose theoretically, but again, you're talking about you're you're talking about something that's alien to the DNA of the party itself. The coalition is based on the idea that government should do more. There is a bill sitting there where government can do more. They're going to tank it, according to them, because they need to hold it hostage to government doing even, 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 even more. And then they're going to go back and say, now we're doing nothing. I mean, I, I don't know how they get credit for that. Like I said, Republicans had this weird third path where because there was a real libertarian element to the Tea Party and all of that, the fact that they weren't acting was in some sense the fulfillment of a campaign promise. They're promising to fundamentally change America. A trillion dollar infrastructure bill, by the way, fundamentally changes America. We have never spent money like this before, even though people now think we do because of the coronavirus, but that was an emergency. This is not normal. This is a new thing. And they have already banked it and acted as though it's nothing. And I don't know what they go back. And and by the way, the other thing is they're the only ones responsible for mixing and matching and mushing all this together. You know, ordinarily you have separate pieces of legislation Honestly, I'm trying to think of another example in which you hold an actual standing bill hostage to another standing bill. People often hold bills hostage to provisions inside the bill, inside a larger bill that they need insist on being taken out, which is where we are now going to go to 
after I do this next ad to talk about a provision that was taken out of the effort to fund the government. Um, But before that, I need to talk to you about our friends at fastgrowingtrees.com. Look, we're now at the perfect time to plant trees and shrubs. It's coming to be fall. Fall, I think, starts, when does it start today? Right, is it September 21st or is it October 20th? I can't even remember. Anyway, I think it's fall, (laughs) which means now is the time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com, which means you can skip the big box stores and go to the world's largest online nursery, which means no more waiting in lines, messy cars, digging through a lackluster selection. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com, choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area, delivered to your door in one or two days. You're looking for shade, you're looking for privacy, you're looking for fruit trees, or added color for your yard. Every plant shipped with a well-developed root system, ready to explode with new growth come spring. This is the better way to buy trees, shrubs, and plants for your home and yard, fastgrowingtrees.com. Now through November 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary, fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. So guess what's uh, guess what's been taken out of the effort to uh, fund the government out of nowhere um, uh, as a result of a, of a of some kind of a weird sit fit yesterday morning uh, while they were discussing passing this stripped down thing to fund the government uh, is a billion dollars in funding for Israel's Iron Dome anti uh, missile defense system. Um, nobody knows quite who's responsible for it. Uh, many Democrats are rearing in horror at the fact that this was removed from this uh, stopgap measure. Um, uh, we are now told, we're, we're vowed, uh, we're told that it will it will be restored in a different measure later on. Um, but there are two things to, two things to say. Oh, uh, and I'm 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 monologizing, but I will quickly say two things, and then one good. One is, um, Iron Dome is the greatest uh, savior of Palestinian lives in the history of uh, of the world. Uh, because of Iron Dome, when Palestinians fire rockets at Israel, the rockets are disabled. They do not hit Israeli. You know, they have this incredibly high rate of success. They they therefore do not result in casualties in Israel, and Israel is not therefore obliged to respond militarily to rocket attacks with rocket attacks of its own. And if you are, if you care about Palestinian lives, Iron Dome is the greatest thing to have happened because irresponsible, monstrous leaders uh, are using, you know, are, are trying to kill Israeli civilians. Israel can protect its civilians against uh, their own killing and protect Palestinians against the necessity of retaliation. So as a human rights measure, as a humanities measure, if you are pro-Palestinian, you want Iron Dome. There is no, there, there is no other argument. There is, there is no counter argument to this. Slight corrective to, to okay. that very yes. you know, important point. It's not, it's not that retaliatory responses from Israel against rocket sites do not occur. They do. What this system prevents are very costly politically and militarily ground operations. To right. disable these uh, these forces on the ground <clears throat> in Gaza. So I was trying this morning to hunt down the logic for why this provision was struck in committee, and it's damn near impossible to find anybody on the record and the Progressive Caucus talking about this thing. 
talking about why, why they did this. And the only thing I could find is progressive caucus chair, Pramila Jayapal, saying that there's no reason to do this because, quote, there's no reason for us to fund that right now. They've suddenly discovered fiscal responsibility in this paltry $1 billion provision comparatively to the astronomical $3.5 trillion that, which by the way, she, she already says they already, they already compromised on because what they wanted was 6 trillion, not 3.5. So they already backed off this. It doesn't even matter what the thing does. It's just the price tag that matters. But the logic was articulated far more clearly in May uh, during the last uh, series of uh, violent uh, episodes in, in Gaza, between Israel and Gaza. Um, when people like Ilan Omar talked about how Israel's Iron Dome protects Israelis' lives and therefore uh, it doesn't protect Palestinian lives. And as a result, there's more conflict. And there was a piece in the Washington Post that elaborated on this um, at the time, which really you know, justified this rationale rather clearly, saying that it perpetuates the Israeli-Gaza conflict. And the very ghoulish rationale is that without Israeli deaths, there's no impetus to go back to the negotiating table is that they don't have the, they, the political pressure is not on the Israeli government. So this, you know, the entire makeup of the Middle East can change. The Israeli government can change. American governments can change. Every factor can change, but this logic does not. This rationale remains the same. And it is therefore a rationale in, in search of, of, of real world data to justify it. It exists independent of any real world conditions. It is an article of faith that Israelis must die. And there's a lot of things you can say about that particular outlook, but it's not strategically sound. So you're left to conclude that it is a base prejudice that is working its way into legislation now, and that Democrats are forced to, to clean up. This isn't the first time they've had to clean up after the okay. squad's anti-Semitism. It won't be the last either. It's a wonder that they just haven't realized that they have to take a proactive approach here, lest they keep getting humiliated by these people. Well, I don't know if they're getting humiliated. That they are. Danger. No, they, they are. And I'll explain why. Because Steny Hoyer had to go on an apology tour. Steny Hoyer had to call Jerusalem. Steny Hoyer had to talk to the yeah. White House. Steny Hoyer had to navigate his own caucus and then say, now we have to have a standalone vote on this thing just to clean up after your mess. Yes, there are costs associated with this. Um, 2012 Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. Uh, Mayor Avilgarosa of, of Los Angeles in the in the chair in the chairman's seat at the convention reads out a provision uh, in which uh, Jerusalem is called the capital of Israel. Calls for a voice vote from the floor. The voice vote is overwhelmingly negative. Virgosa says, "Motion passes." Uh 2019, uh, Ilan Omar says anti-Semitic things. Democratic caucus gets together for the purpose of censuring her or doing some doing something to make it clear that she has said something that is unacceptable. Majority of the Democratic caucus says to Nancy Pelosi, uh-uh, we're not attacking her. No censure uh, for uh, open, explicit anti-Semitism. It's all about the Benjamins stuff. 2021, September, 
the Democratic Party in its rules committee or whatever it is, whoever is doing whatever it is, removes a provision for Iron Dome. Uh, the progress here is unmistakable. Uh, and uh, we've been told for years that it is a terrible thing that Benjamin Netanyahu, as, as president, tilted toward the Republicans and that he created conditions under which Democrats no longer liked Israel or you know felt because he was so obnoxious. There's a new prime minister. There's a new foreign minister. They're in an alliance together. There's no BB. It's a new world. They all had a lovey-dovey schmear. It's all wonderful, like Yair Lapid and uh, and, uh, uh, and 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 Naftali Bennett, um, and they are now going to be presiding over uh, in Israel, in which the uh, party that controls uh, all of the levers of Congress has a has a very significant rump uh, that is now looking to defund Israel, and 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 is going at it. Moreover. With, the, with a program that is morally, intellectually, and geostrategically unassailable. This prevents conflicts in the Middle East. This prevents things from happening in the Middle East that we might otherwise have to get involved in. And, by the way, is a um, test case, just like the Pfizer vaccine, for things like Missile defense, like we're, we learn every time this happens, what's going on in Iron Dome has enormous implications for our own defense posture and the world's defense posture in terms of dealing with rocketry and rocket attacks and all of that. This is no joke. Yeah, we're going at our the... own Iron Dome defense okay. radar installations and interceptor missile installations. Um, but the you know this is kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of what the progressive position is. Is that they don't want less war; they want more war. They want more bloody, violent conflict that produces more Israeli deaths. They're explicit about it when you get them, you know, a little a little more honest. You shoot them full of sodium pentothal. They'll tell you exactly what they believe, which is right. more death, more so war. Even if it death. necessitates American right. so intervention forget because them. it advances hey, Let's talk about, the Democratic, well, here, talk about the, the Democratic Party. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the Democratic Party. We are, we are so far past the point where the anti-Semitism can be reversed incrementally. Um there, there, for, for this to change, it would require a full-scale renunciation of this position. And I don't see that coming from any of them. There are Democrats, and it is very important to note this. Brett, Brett Stevens has a great column today about Richie Torres. Richie Torres is another, is a first-term congressman from New York City. Raised by a single mother, product of the New York City Public Schools. Uh, first uh, gay uh, Latino elected in New York City, and now uh, in the in the House of Representatives, a brilliant young moderate. Okay, uh, ever heard of him? Yeah, and he's not. He's not, he's not really. You've heard of him? He's not all that moderate. I mean, no. we even have people right. like Mark Pocon, who, who's as progressive yeah. as you get, who are being on the record vocally, you know, and expressing their antipathy towards this motion, not the squad per se, but this motion. They're afraid of the blowback they get from criticizing the squad because they all live in this, you know, bubble in right. Twitter. But I'm saying, I'm saying Demo the Democratic Party's forward face is not Richie Torres. It's not Alyssa Slotkin. It's not um, Steny Hoyer. Uh, it's not 
and uh, the interesting political aspect here, which you know dovetails with a lot of what we've been talking about, is go look at the numbers in the United States when it comes to support for Israel, particularly vis-a-vis Israel is the next to England is the most popular country in the world for Americans. More than 60% of Americans say they support Israel, and they certainly say, I think in even larger numbers, that they support Israel vis-a-vis the Palestinians. Democrats, taken out as an, as, a, as an element or an aspect of that, are kind of divided 43-42, something like that. The Democratic Party uh, is turning on Israel. It has been turning on Israel, as I said. We saw the first, you know we saw this most dramatic sign of it in 2012 at the Obama re-election coronation uh, in Philadelphia. Moving forward, we are now in a position in which the vanguard of the party is now using and flexing its muscles to uh, to enlist the entire party in its ideological war against Israel. Um, what are the practical consequences of this and how what this means going forward? Every person in America who cares about this issue is going to be put very much on the spot about what it is that they are supporting if they vote and how they vote uh, if this is a central issue for them. We've gone very long. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. For Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.